This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to fubarradio.com. Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio. Hello and welcome to Screen Talk. Now, we have a wonderful guest today. We have Oliver Chris, a wonderful actor who I have known a little bit off and on over the years. I'm very excited to talk to him. You'll know him from shows like The Office, Green Wing, and more recently, Bluestone 42. He's doing a lot of theatre now. He's picked two pieces of music for us from films. The first is For a Few Dollars More by the wonderful Ennio Morricone. Amazing piece of music uh, from uh, for a few dollars more, Ennio Morricone. Here we have with us, Mr. Oliver Chris. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks, thank man. you for coming in. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. First of all, tell us why you picked that piece of music. Well, I mean, when you asked me to pick a couple of movie themes, yeah. I mean, I I took this like beyond seriously this is as close as i'm ever going to get to desert island discs right? <laughs> right so i figured like so i i immediately was on spotify i was downloading i was racking my brains my memories and you nearly got is that why we only found out your choice two minutes <laughs> before you walked in <laughs> yeah basically which is why i emailed you about seven different choices <laughs> before i came in i was so chronically indecisive yeah but i i started listening to some stuff and there was most of the stuff that I came out with was really depressing or very classical. Yeah. Uh, like you nearly got Abraham's theme from Chariots of Fire, which if you haven't heard it, it's amazing, but it's not one you want to play. It's not the it's not the running theme, is it? It's what's no, that called? I don't no. know what that one's That's called. the Chariots of Fire theme. But is it still Va- Vangelis? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, on the, it's on the album, yeah. which I have on vinyl, which okay. I'm very proud oh, of. Oh, wow. Thank okay, you so yeah, much. Yeah. I've had it since <laughs> I was like 12 or something. But there's one theme, it's very slow and really, really yeah. haunting, and it's really beautiful, but I'm not sure it's Fubar. <laughs> um, it's literally like, oh, let's listen to another radio is it, station. Is there such? A, do we? Does Fubar have a? I'm just asking my producer. Do we have a type of music that uh, is Chris Wright? We'll play anything. We'll okay. play anything. Amazing. Well, I like, I, I, I like I'm the idea in favor of that. But sometimes, if something, especially at the beginning of the show, is really quiet and yeah. downbeat, it's like. Let's yeah. try and pick this up again. I know, so what we need is some Jews Harp Western to line yeah. everybody up. And we were just saying during that, like, without being controversial, we're just repeating what it is known as. That instrument, the doing, doing, yeah. is known as the Jews Harp, I think that's right? what it's known as, and I don't even know if that's, no. like, politically incorrect to say. I, don't, I have no idea. Or but where that comes from. I've, I've Can we find clear. out where that comes from, Natalie? Because that has always fascinated me, and I'm like, are you allowed to say that? I actually saw one online being sold as a Jaws Harp. A, oh. Like, as in your, you hold it in your jaw. Or no, it's so, not like an instrument for sharks. <laughs> no. And uh, I wonder, <laughs> you'd know he was coming, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, if he's playing that as he's on his way, that would be uh, that would be a bit of a giveaway. It's quite boring being a shark, um, though. You'd wanna, yeah, you want to spice it up with that. <laughs> it would um, change that film quite a lot, wouldn't it? You'd know which religion the shark uh, belongs to as well. But uh, is I wondered whether that it had become a Jaws harp because it was politically incorrect to be a Jews harp, or whether that was originally what it was and people had bastardised it into the, Who knows? So I start, we'll I out. remembered this track about uh, 20 minutes ago. Right. Um, and I, it when I heard it, you, it, it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did actually, because when I was going through this stuff, I was cycling through some old nostalgic stuff. And then this one popped into my mind. I saw The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, I loved the, the, all three of those films. Yeah. But then I thought, hang on a minute, that's not the theme. The real theme is from A Few Dollars More. That's the really awesome one. Um, and, uh, and But then I don't think I've even thought about, heard or said the word Jews Harp for probably 20 years. Yeah. 
It's a, yeah. This is a whole new... The fact that I even knew what that was called when we were talking about Here we go, here we go. The Jews Harp, also known as the Jaw Harp, Mouth Harp, Ozark Harp, or Juice Harp, Ooh. is a lemma... How do you say that? A lemolophone instrument? It consists Ooh, of a it. flexible metal or bamboo tongue or reed attached to a frame. There you go. That doesn't really help us with the no. whole Jewish reference, Could we it? find out why it's called a Jews Harp? That's I more. like the idea that like, <laughs> Jewish people will only play instruments made out of bamboo. Yeah, I would. Yeah, let's let's just not go here, please. <laughs> okay. Because uh, of course, Reggie way, Yates. Although, although Reggie Yates. Uh, did you see that? Um, there was this. Uh, he 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 made some comment about uh, Jewish stereotypes in the music business or something, and it caused so did much offence that he's had to stand down from presenting Top of the Pops, which, by the way, I didn't even know still existed. No, so no, no, no. he stepped down from a show I didn't know. So the impact around. on you is minimal. Yeah. <laughs> but I, although I have to tell you, you're on slightly safe ground because I am actually Jewish. So that's not even a joke. Are you serious? I promise you, yeah. This would go so badly if you were lying. <laughs> if you were lying <laughs> you're about like, that. Your face, you, you're, you're looking really, at me. really you're getting shit here. With, total, with sheer terror. <laughs> actually, it's, it's actually, it's, it's half true. So the truth is that my, I have three Jewish grandparents and a Jewish dad. How do you have... Oh, one so step. So my I know my only non-Jewish grandparent is my since past maternal grandmother, and Judaism passes through the mother's line. Yeah. But in certain classifications, if you have three Jewish grandparents, and by the way, not the nicest classifications, if you have three yeah. Jewish grandparents, you yeah, qualify yeah. as Jewish. Although, so I was brought up in a Jewish. I'm looking at you very differently. Now. I know, right? How do you <laughs> feel about it? And do you know another little fact? I, I mean, I don't know how we. I mean, the Jews helps brought us to this subject. Yeah. But I'm going to give you a little spot quiz, okay? Okay. Because if you think about people of the Jewish faith, okay, mm-hmm. and how much impact they've had, certainly on screen work and in the entertainment yeah, industry, yeah. but across all fields, yeah. right? They're, they're certainly global impact. But even in this country, okay, what do you think the Jewish population is of Great Britain? We have a population of six billion. No, six, billion? 66 million, isn't it? We've got 66 Six, million, yeah, something like sorry, that, 7 yeah. billion in the world. 66 yeah. million people in the UK. I was going to say, I knew it was getting crowded on those buses. <laughs> no. but. but how many, what proportion, or yeah, how many Jewish people do you think there I, are? Someone told me this recently, oh. and I, annoyingly I can't remember the, answer, the exact answer, but I was absolutely stunned by how low it was. 250,000. That can't be true. Out of 66 million that people. That can't be true. Dude, I mean, it's the truth. You that's can draw like, your own inferences from it. That's but. just the O2 on three nights. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you measure things? Yeah, I always see things as audiences <laughs> only. like Stadium, yeah, yeah. stadium shows. Um, no, but I'm just thinking of like, you, you know, that's so few people that you could get them all in one room for three nights in a row or something. Yeah, like man. That, or they could maybe. have all gone to Woodstock. They could have, yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> Imagine if they were all at Woodstock yeah. playing, playing, playing the, the Jews harp. harp. But which, by the way, it says here, despite its common English name and the sometimes used Jews harp, Trump, Jews Trump. <laughs> I mean, it has no connection with Jews or Judaism. So that seems it must be. It must be a politically incorrect. Uh, it must do. But it, it also be. seems bizarre to me that it would get the common name of Jews harp and have absolutely nothing to do with Judaism. Who knows? This is up. If, anyone, guess if yeah. this was a live show, we'd ask someone to call in and tell us and tell us to move on from this subject. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Uh, oh, here we. Uh, this instrument is considered to be one of the oldest musical instruments in the world. A musician apparently playing it can be seen in a Chinese drawing from the fourth century BC. There you go. This is pretty amazing. I stuff, think we've isn't gone it? down a rabbit hole. You have uh, e- either that, or we're just really exploring. Um, 
a theme here. I'm really into it. <laughs> I could I could literally sit here for an hour and talk about Good. the origins of the I'm Jews hoping heart. that we never actually find out anything. Oh, hang on a minute. Look, this what? is this is really interesting. Okay. This so I'm a big Walter Raleigh fan. Yeah. Okay, and uh, this is here. So, look, the name appears earliest in Walter Raleigh's discovery of Guiana in 1596. He sailed to Guiana on, under Elizabeth's sail to try and find El Dorado. And it came out, it was called the Luz Harp. So maybe I love how that, in, that you actually um, like added some information to what was on there. I'm a terribly yeah. boring person, Dan. <laughs> I really like gardening and For those listening, we, just, we get a little, uh, um, a bit of text comes up on our screen and uh, with just the basic info. But Ollie here just, you know, he, uh, what, what's, I'm looking for a particular word. You embellished. I'm, the, I'm embellished. I, yeah, I felt yeah. that out a little bit. Yeah. I just, it just so but happened. let's talk about you. Okay. Come I mean, on. Walter Raleigh's probably more interesting yeah. than me, but he's I been mean, dead for 500 years, so sod him. Frankly. Who knows? He might have been really good at what he does, but very boring in uh, podcasts if and radio yeah, shows. And if someone tells me that Walter Raleigh played the Jews harp, I'm literally going to shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you and what have you been up to lately? You're very busy. In fact, the last time I saw you, which I think might be like five, six years ago, yep. you were on quite a roll with your stage stuff, yeah. which you're still kind of doing a lot of, right? Yeah, I uh, did. Um, you would, I you, sort of did a lot of TV in the yeah. first sort of seven or eight years of my career, and I absolutely loved it. And then I made this sort of conscious decision to, to, to try and move into the stage. I, I've always, the, the theatre's what made me want to be an actor. So when you started out, you trained, you trained, right? Yeah, I went to Central yeah. School of Speech and Drama. And in when London. you when you started out, I sort of it, say that with a torch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you could have just said Central, yeah. but I love the full. The formal. Moniker. I suddenly felt like I was yeah, being yeah. interviewed, and I needed to give a full answer in full sentences. Were you? What were your? Because you did do a lot of comedy at the beginning yeah. of your career, a lot of TV, and a lot of comedy, by the way, that was like very celebrated, like proper, like. Yeah cultural impact yeah, shows yeah really excited about yeah. it yeah and uh, I mean super like totally lucky was that your goal was was comedy a thing was no was I it? thought I thought I was gonna spend my life in linen climbing in and out of fountains do you know what I mean okay. or like in a frock coat looming is this over connected to acting or is no this just no literally <laughs> I, uh, I just really love yeah. a fountain <laughs> it's like the feeling of wet linen on my skin <laughs> um, no I just thought like that, that I would be a life of sort of period dramas and right you know, sort of uh, 19th century military campaigns. But um, I just uh, I just sort of stumbled into... I mean, my first job I got straight from drama school was The Office, and obviously that's going to kind of set the really? tone. Was it really? Straight yeah. out? I was actually still in drama school when I got it. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's quite sick. I sort of hate you for that. Yeah, so I'm really sorry. But I'm sure that. that also had a backlash in a way that it gave you a full sense of what the rest of your life and career was going to be like, right? Whoa! Every every morning gives yeah. me a full, full yeah. sense of what my day is going to be like. No, but to come to, for that to be your first well, job. Well, you have to remember how it all you have to remember how it all panned out because the when the office first when I first did the pilot for the office, I think it was like 1999. I'm not even sure it was 2000 yet. Right. Or it might have been, I don't know. Um and it was just a small low budget uh, sitcom that the BBC had had kind of taken a punt on, I guess. Yeah. And they made the pilot, and they, the pilot they enjoyed, they liked, they re-edited it a bit, and they went to series, which I think filmed in 2000. And then they put it on air, and it sank without a trace. They put it on BBC Two, and it sank without a trace. Uh, I remember that, that Victor Lewis Smith, who was re- reviewing in the Evening Standard, yeah. was, like, he just slaughtered well. it. Like, every, yeah. right? everybody, but everybody slaughtered it. No one watched it. 
And I remember I was around at my auntie's house, my first ever TV show. I'm like 20 or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm around at my auntie Carol's for a barbecue. And she, I, I wish I could do the face for you on the radio, but this but is just for anyway, your pleasure. We're about to use, uh, um, we, we use clips, little okay. camera clips. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. But like later, my auntie Carol cornered me in the kitchen and she went to, so I saw your first outing on the television. And she made that sort of no. grimace and sucked the air into her teeth and then just sort of walked off with some kind of tray of, I don't know, chicken wings. Um, and I, Why I, do people think that it's okay to say things like that? Oh, people really, particularly my family, but I think anybody's family, people really think, think it's okay to own your work. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything. Like we were talking earlier on about when you... Uh, you know, when you audition for stuff or when you when you either get stuff, well, the, one of the reasons it feels great is not only because you're going to be employed, which yeah. is always nice, but you're kind of being accepted for you and your abilities. But it's a very personal thing. So every time you get rejected, which is what, like one time in 50, one time in 25, mm. uh, oh. <laughs> um, then every time you get rejected, you're being rejected yeah. like for you. But people, that's part, that's what you sign up for. People can... Um, but you would have thought your family might be... No. no, no. I, I family are worse, aren't they? What did your family say when they saw your show and they see you performing? They my my mum has that classic um, sort of backhanded thing. She says things like, uh, you know, oh, I re- you know, I appreciate the work that's gone into it, but it's not my cup of tea. And it's like, just lie, mum. Just, just say it was yeah. good. That's all. I had a, a, an uncle who sadly isn't with us anymore. Amazing man. Love, love him to bits. But I remember after the first thing I ever did that I wrote and starred in, it didn't go down too great. And, he, and I saw him at one Christmas he went, yeah, that was a bit shit, wasn't it? Yeah, nice. And I was like, I don't think people realise how vulnerable yeah. you are when you make something Damn and but the that, but you put, general consensus yeah. isn't great. You feel like, you already feel like there's everyone talking about you behind your back anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I wouldn't know because I've never been in a well, did she? Did that, she was a, that was humour. That was an attempt. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, it's says you didn't love I got scared. I suddenly did, thought... Did she uh, retract her comment or say, oh, no. okay, maybe I got that well, wrong? She or? didn't. But also, you remember, like, talking about having ownership. They don't. She says to me, oh, I saw you on the television. Yeah. Oh, that was terrible. But then she goes to her friend next door and goes, yes, well, my nephew's on the television. Yeah. So, you know, it depends who she's talking to. Yeah. But what did it's happen... a very British thing. Yeah, exactly right. And what did happen with The Office was that I think by the fifth or sixth episode, everyone finally got the joke. Yeah. Because it was such a new thing. Yeah. And I remember Victor Lewis-Smith, we were talking about earlier, he wrote a double-page Traction of his negative interview in the Evening wow. Standard, saying how he had been so stupid and he was clearly, you know, behind the times because he did not get this, but now he gets it. Yeah. And then the BBC, about four months later, which is again a bit unprecedented, I think, just repeated it. They yeah. just put it on again, and that's when it took off. But the first time it was out, it was yeah, just yeah, a kind of. I remember, of, yeah, I remember very clearly. In fact, I saw Mackenzie Crook, um, like the day after the first or second episode had gone out in a waiting room. Did you say a, to him, I saw <laughs> I you on TV? I didn't, I didn't. I actually said I really enjoyed it. But I think the, I think it must have been the second episode because the first one, I think everyone generally felt like, <clears throat> you know, the, they were on the fence about it. They just weren't sure. And then the second one, I think, was when I started going, oh, oh. hang on, there's, there's something funny. This is, this is good. This is a new world, yeah. I think. And uh, I saw him and I was like, oh, that was, that was really good. And he was a bit like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm still here auditioning for barman number three but like you know nothing's <laughs> he's a changed. genius that guy yeah he's brilliant I mean he's that he's Mackenzie Crook good. is I even remember him back from in those days in the office when I when I really didn't know what I was doing or when I was this wide-eyed sort of I felt like a sea lion flapping mm-hmm. about really ungainly 
And, uh, but I remember seeing Mackenzie and he was so calm and just so in control and just really like modest and yeah. proficient. Still like that. Still like that. Yeah. So did you, you must have been hit with like being recognized and being part of this like cultural phenomenon. Like that must have been, I mean, like what does that do to a 21 year old or 22 year old or like what was well, going know, I, through your head when you realized how big it was and people were going, oh man, you, you know. Yeah, I think like. I think at that point, actually, it's really interesting. That I think when you're in the middle of a hurricane like that, it's actually very calm. And also, like, you know, I was a really, I'm really proud of my work in it. And I'm really proud of my part in it. But, you know, I wasn't Ricky or I wasn't yeah, Finchy. I wasn't, you know, those guys. So I didn't get too much on the street. I get a lot of people coming up to me and shouting blockbusters or Dostoevsky, which they still do. Right. Um, and I really love that because it's really nice. But I've never really graduated from oh you're that guy off that thing yeah. and if people want to say that it's usually because they really like it and they really yeah. like you and so people most of the interactions I have with people in the street which is not very regular um, are really just a complete sort of charming and lovely addition to my existence yeah. which is a real which is a real benefit I know that some of the cast get got after a while like a little tense because it was just so, too so much, much yeah. but I think because I was maybe in the second row but there's also something with comedy as well when like I from having done stuff and people loving your show or whatever you see in their eyes that you have entertained them yeah you can see that there's something oh, like dude. the way they look at you because you've made them laugh yeah at some point is a really special thing it is a, you're right you, you know. can see like they, their faces light up when they spot you and in a weird sort of way if you're less famous it's even more of like oh I've just I've discovered this guy do you remember you know like people find that like like you say ownership yeah. again as well it's really a lovely thing so then after that you're Mr. Comedy Actor yeah that's what I became and that, I guess then, and because you did like Green Wing yeah. and um, did a bit on the IT crowd IT crowd all sorts all yeah. sorts of lots, lots of comedy of dramas and, and, yeah. um, what, was there at any point where you were like actually I'm not sure I'll this is who I am or were you just loving working or I don't know really I think I was really loving working but I definitely I definitely found I definitely find um, I'm not a comedian you know I'm definitely an actor first yeah. and I think I'm like a naughty person so that, oh, yeah. yeah well that comes into my I think that comes into my energy that sounded in my so points. posh by the way <laughs> I'm a naughty I'm person I'm a naughty person <laughs> it's almost quite Leslie Phillips I know it? right Terry Thomas, <laughs> Terry Thomas. Uh, I get in my biplane no, I came here in my biplane yeah. um, uh, but, I, but I, I and I think that sort of lends itself to comedy I really like mucking about and I like making people laugh but I sort of feel like I'm an actor first and a comedian mm -hmm. second and um, I always, I've always found the comedy world a very competitive one. Yeah. And I've always, I've only ever felt like sort of, sort of a runt, sort of like trying to muscle my yeah, way in. Yeah, it's difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. I, even I find it difficult as a comedian. It's uh, you get a bit like, ugh. Yeah. It's, it's it's because everyone's so trying to make their position known. Yeah. I think so. And I also, it, it can be a very like I think like trying to be funny like for you being the one who's getting the laugh it's yeah. a very solo isolated spot to yeah. be in even if you're in a scene with someone else there's a funny guy and a straight guy yeah, and the yeah. funny guy's the one who gets all the credit and the straight one you know whatever and th th you've seen that like the world through and I think it, when you're in a place where everyone's trying to be the funny guy it, it, it sort of pulls community yeah. apart pulls those communities apart or well, certainly gives them different like a different dynamic and I, I, I certainly felt like I like a, I didn't quite know where to be in that well, I remember doing some theatre after it's I'd done... It's quite serious, Dan. Comedy. I wasn't yeah. expecting this to yeah, be like a you know, little look inside. Like. <laughs> look I thought we were going to talk about Ennio Morricone mind. more. Oh, well, we can. Or we can go back to the Jews' half, if you like. <laughs> I think we covered um, that. 
So, because I, I do remember you saying to me uh, when I saw you out once, yeah, I just, I just sort of said I don't want to do TV anymore. I just want to do theatre and yeah, just sort of go back, go back to my roots. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I'm, right? Well, I'm quoting you. I'm there. like, no, you probably well, never said I never that. Said that never said I did that. now. <clears throat> um, it's, it sounds like the kind of thing I would say after a couple of dirty martinis. But you and, sort of, you did, you went on to have quite a successful run in with plays yeah like, that did, went did, did really that happen well. straight away because i mean two i'm, th- I'm thinking two governors in particular yeah. was like what i mean to yeah. be involved in a, yeah. sh- a hit like that and you travel the world yeah that was a bit of a global smash that uh, what, how long did you do that for i did 424 performances over two and a half years how do you remember that because i know that we did 425 in total and i took one show off because I was entitled to a one-show allowance, and I took a Wednesday matinee off, so I know I did one and less how, than the title. And how long was that over a period? Because you were in the National, then the West End, and yeah, I think Broadway? St- I think it was actually like 18 or 20 months, actually. So we, went to the na- we started at the National Theatre in, I think, like we started rehearsing in like February, maybe March. And then we, went, we were in the National Theatre for like three or four months. Then we had a couple of weeks off, or a few weeks off, and we went straight into the West End for four months. And then we had Christmas off. And then I think in... April we went to the following April we went to Broadway and we were there for six months and that's that must have been amazing it kind of is amazing it's is I, there a downside to yes, it yes there really is what, a downside what's that then well I've actually because my dream by the way is to or one of my dreams I, I have more than one okay uh, <laughs> I, I just imagine love, you every night uh, saying <laughs> which dream shall I think about tonight uh, is to do a show on Broadway or in New York and then you come off stage and New York is your post show playground yeah I mean I have I, I don't really go out drinking like I used to so but this probably was, wasted this on was me. five years ago yeah you know now so it was they were different times yeah. like, I'm in the same boat as you but back then I was very happy to have yeah. a nice time um I'm very happy to have yeah. a naughty time. <laughs> if you've got say. a biplane on Manhattan, darling, are let me posh? tell you. Are you posh? You, I am pretend the, posh. Are you? I'm gauche. What? I come from a very aspirational family. I'm a product of my mum and dad's aspirations. What sort for sure. of family are they? They're like my dad's like an accountant, and my okay. mum's like owned a bookshop, and they both really love Trump Loy. And, so they're, uh, but them sort of just middle, the fact that they said Trump Loy on the radio. <laughs> to, to, um, uh, middle class. Yeah, I'd say like low, upper middle class. Upper middle class. Oh, I'd say upper yeah. middle class. Okay. But they're from very humble stock. They're from yeah. my dad is from. Um, Ukrainian Jewish peasantry background. He's only, he's only a second generation immigrant, I think. Right. And my mum, uh, my mum's mum is very English. You know, you can kind of trace her back to yeah, you know yeah. King Harold. But my mum's dad was a Polish immigrant, was the son of a Polish immigrant. And they they actually their, their stories when my when my grand my maternal grandparents got together, they had so little money that their Polish community friends went out and stole them a hot water tank from somebody else's oh. house and gave it to them as a wedding present. That's both beautiful and criminal. And criminal, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not doing uh, very good for the Polish stereotype. <laughs> no. yeah, I'm so sorry. This was a long time ago. Come on, you're painting them to be like terrible people. No, what? No, that, that's no, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful thing. So I'm joking. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, I let's like say that. the word borrowed. They yeah, borrowed. borrowed. <laughs> it was a long-term <laughs> arrangement. Uh, so you're in New York. You're doing a show. Um, you're going out every have you, night. Have you every have you night? Ever, yeah. Have you ever done a like a show like a long run of any? I've show? never only stand up show, and there's a difference yeah, there because you're only on for about ten minutes. No, no, like a tour where okay. you do. You know, I've done tours where I did two hour. Really? Yeah, or, or two hour including an interval. Like okay, you yeah. do forty five minutes, twenty minutes. That's some serious yeah. material. Yeah. Um, 
Because uh, you can either do that or you do an hour, but you have to have a warm up. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Uh, or a support act or what, whatever. Yuck. Don't want anyone else sharing that glory. No, no, no. Well, I would rather it, but um, you know, I was cutting costs on the particular tour I'm thinking of. Love but it. that was a long. That was like maybe six, seven weeks. Yeah, this is um, six, like six months. It's yeah, I don't know how you say the same word because also with a with stand up, you can change it around. You can ad lib. You can interact with the audience. Yeah. To have to do those lines, I know actors say. Oh, uh, you know, it's an, I'm, I'm rediscovering the material. Is that is that true? Is that bullshit? I don't know. Like when I did my first eight ever months play, into it, you're like, oh uh, god, now I get it. Do you really? James Corden once told me when we were doing it. He, he said, um, he said that Jerry Seinfeld. Just to drop two names, yeah. He said that like Jerry Seinfeld. There's a quite a famous Jerry Seinfeld quote, which is like, when the audience are in a state of hysteria and you're hating every moment you know you're a professional <laughs> yeah. and like and, and I there were definitely Wednesday matinees that were long and yeah. hard and also like a show like that it's very energy consuming yeah. One Man Two Governors for anyone who didn't see it was like was like a big very like vaudeville fast yeah. slamming doors stripping off jumping over balconies into freezing cold pools of water falling downstairs I mean it was a lot of yeah. changing and running around it was a high energy show and there were definitely it was always packed and everyone was always really excited to get a ticket so that gives you a lot of energy but even so doing that twice in a day is, is pr- can be yeah. pretty tough and also when you do a six month run now you don't get a day off you know you do six days a week eight shows a week every week for six months no holidays no no nothing mm. apart from the one show off i had obviously which is a wednesday matinee and it just it, it you actually get into you go through a kind of a whole like ju- like crazy mental journey and uh, like you know you sort of you start and it's really exciting and then you kind of go into the middle where you just you're just you, you literally feel like you're standing in the same place every day and the world spins around you and then you find yourself standing in the same place and you must have done shows as well where you did it and at the end you're like did I do that scene yeah 100% or like you're just on autopilot <laughs> yeah, yeah 100% but then of course you, actually you can often do your best when you're on autopilot the, the, the dangerous bit is if something goes slightly I've seen off. you do your yeah. best on autopilot <laughs> <laughs> I'm only ever on autopilot I sort of write the show on the day one of rehearsals and then don't bother turning up um, but yeah it's, it, it is a really like long you're in like a really long tunnel and you just can't see the end of it but then you sort of one of the things I realised is that you do reach a kind of a zen state where you just really exist in in the words of this thing, in this routine that you're just repeating again yeah. and again and again and again and again. And that it's, it is actually quite magical. I've done it since. I did a play called King Charles III that also ran for th- over m- nearly 400 performances. And we took, again, we took that all around, you know, the world or whatever. And you do get to this sort of beautiful state where the play is going to take its own energy and you can't go anywhere. You yeah. know you can't walk off. You can't, you're, in a, you're in this kind of, you're stuck in a, in a, in a prison, a preordained thing. So you, there's no point in fighting it. You can't make it go quicker. You can't not yeah, want to yeah. be there. You've just got to kind of is it, It's it. probably worse if you're not in the play <clears throat> that much. No, it's better because you can watch, like, Netflix in your dressing room. Really? Yeah, definitely. You can, like, portion Isn't that out. when time goes slower, though, when you're in the wings, sort of going, oh. No, you don't go in the wings. Like, if, like, so I just did Twelfth Night, and, I, and I'm, I was all seen. I was on at the very beginning, and then a bit in the middle, and then at the very end. I had about, uh, in a two-and-a-half-hour show, I, I must have had at least an hour and 45 minutes in my dressing room. So I used to watch, like, an episode of Peaky Blinders or, like, Stranger Things in my dressing room up between the first and second scenes. And then I come out and get, like, a half-hour show after you're that. really sort of destroying the, the yeah, magic man. of yeah, this, yeah. The there is no magic, old fruit. I'm oh, so I just sorry. always Debbie thought McGee's that actors twins. were in the wings <laughs> and that they were in character the whole time they're not on stage. Uh, yeah, that, no. Yeah. No. no. We're is all Debbie McGee, uh, McGee twins? I mean, I'm pretty sure Debbie McGee's a twin. That's how they do the, that's how they do the thing, right? Well, 
which one was on Strictly? Was it Strictly? She just I don't did? even know. Yeah. <laughs> she's still on it. I don't so know. You, you just brought. Maybe up. that's not. Maybe that's why she's so good. She alternates. She has two weeks to learn every there dance. There you go. There you go. Debbie McGee. I like this. Man. Can we find? Can we get some sort of confirmation on if she's a twin? Debbie um, McGee. By the way, as a disclaimer, Debbie McGee might not be a twin. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll find out. Uh, we. I like the. I like the idea that on this show in the next twenty minutes we will get actual concrete proof. Uh, so you mentioned the show King Charles II, Third. right? Third. Um, I haven't seen the first two. Goodums. Oi, oi. Uh, you played Prince William, right? Did, in a yeah. imagining of what will happen uh, if he when he becomes king. When well, Charles no, when becomes, Charles becomes king. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you played. Uh, looking at you now, I can sort of see why you're good casting for William. Yeah, I've had my and whole, also the way you speak and the yeah. naughty posh boy that you are. And yeah, <laughs> they said we need an actor with a biplane and yeah. a moustache. Um, what did you do? <clears throat> any like research? Any? How did you sort of get yeah. into the head of Prince William? Well, I did. I did a lot. There's. I, I've grown up my whole life with everyone telling me. I look like Prince William yeah. <clears throat> and then I've auditioned to play Prince William is that why like, you've got a beard now to just, just like, to, like get stop away from that guy <laughs> yeah. Jesus no I'm doing Shakespeare oh am I doing Shakespeare no I'm not I'm doing uh, you're Bini. doing what are you doing what, doing? Oh, what am I doing you're I'm doing going, Young Marks I'm doing it tonight so it's, oh, yeah. I better find yeah. out what I'm doing and okay. where I'm doing it <laughs> um, but you know I just did I just did some Shakespeare but I just think um Always, if William, you're on stage, yeah. you always grow a beard, right? Always no, but Prince William, tell me, did yeah. you like? Did you have? Had, did he see it? Did you? No, what is he your, wouldn't. I don't. I, I he think wouldn't, he wouldn't come. Nah. I asked him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was around at, at Highgrove for a fucking like kebab oh, and a chucker of polo. Um, oh, yeah, we've just got uh, we've got information in live from our uh, researchers, Debbie McGee. This is all we've got though. Uh, Debbie McGee is fifty-eight. Her sister Donna is 57 so not a twin unless the mother was in very very long labor or like specifically over just sh- the the second midnight. one just took yeah or over a minute with that technically yeah because yeah, then the birthday would be I mean, the timings would have to be extremely specific well also i like mean, the way that on you this mean she's only 57 for the rest of today <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, i love i love the fact that on this little on this little la- on the computer screen yeah. it's got not a twin in really really big yeah bold not cover. a twin <laughs> like um, i love that but no prince william uh, birthday oh, well, is 31st well, of october okay all right, really trying to put us in our place there. <laughs> yeah, we've officially been yeah. told. Uh, I'd yeah, like to apologise to both Prince Debbie McGee and her sister Donna. Who is not her twin. Yeah. Ish. Maybe she looks... She's. Is there such thing as an identical non-twin? Like you have a brother or sister two years, but you're identical. I think that would be that amazing. Happened? But would yeah. they be identical Can at we the find same that time? <laughs> <laughs> or would they be identical at the same time? Or would they just kind of... At this point, so when you're 58, you look identical to when oh, your when partner you, was 58. Oh, that's interesting. What sort of brother and sisters do you have? You asked me what kind of family oh, I came Jesus. from, let me tell you. Oh, dear. You wondered what Trump Loy meant. Yeah. <laughs> God. Okay, now we know. Now we know. But, and again, why well, you're probably perfect to play the royal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um... <laughs> Uh, I could possibly comment on that, but no, I, um, I, well, yeah. So I had been uh, auditioning to play him loads, and uh, and then I, I found out that they were doing this play, and I was like, mm, why haven't I gone in for that? So I emailed because you've been told you look like William yeah, before. Like you thought, well, yeah. come on, yeah. I must get this. Yeah. And did you, when you went for the audition, did you say, look, just look at me? Yeah, Do I need I to read. I actually grabbed the director <laughs> by the by the scruff of the neck. Went, just yeah. look at me. Yeah, in um, that and then I got the, that's what I do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, it doesn't always work, Dan. No, really. Be... Out of uh, out of ten, how many times have, does that normally work? I mean, definitely Point. not more than about eight. <laughs> that's still pretty good. Um, 
Yeah, they. Um, so I, I, I ended up doing this thing, and there is. Is that Debbie McGee's sister that's oh just come my up? God. Oh, look, people won't be able to see this, or, or, or you know, and they won't be able to hear this picture. She doesn't look a she lot doesn't like look Debbie, does she? Anything like a sister? Okay, oh, well, they've yeah. hidden Debbie and her sis, twin sister have hidden that really well. They've done really well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, Paul Daniels is a magician yeah. after all. <laughs> um, so. I'm loving the way we're flicking yeah, between the I royal know, family and Debbie McGee. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, with Prince William, there's there's like there's like so much information about him online and whatever. So I did do a lot of research. I think if you're playing a real person, I've never really been much of an actor who's into research, but yeah. actually, because you, you have to do what's on the page, essentially, right? But yeah. then I think if you're playing a real person, you owe them a debt of respect to try and at least fill what is on the page yeah. with something that you know about them or, or at least your opinion your feelings about that person and to somehow kind of capture their essence because we never did impressions and um, we all of everyone who played the royal family like resembled their mm-hmm. like royal counterpart but we never strove for, for impressions but I, I think you have to like try and capture the essence and, and after also like I found what was really interesting because we did it for so long I mean Charles III we did we did it at the Almeida then we did it in the West End then we went to Broadway then we did a radio version and then we did it for the TV it was on BBC earlier this year on BBC Two and after playing him that long I started to like like get a bit resentful of the real William because like I was a bit like I sort of felt like I had a bit of ownership over what this dude sort of does in my little like yeah. weird pretend universe and so every time anyone else expressed an opinion or there was some news yeah, yeah. I kind of got quite resentful about it, it and what about strange. what about when since doing the play because you also did it for TV as well yeah, right yeah, we did it, with yeah. the same director or? same director yeah a guy called Rupert Gould who's was he's that, a really brilliant director is that a weird was that weird like because you've obviously pitched your performance for theatre for so long doing that show for, and then suddenly you're doing the same thing but yeah, I know in it's, a totally different actually it's awesome and you'll understand this because the one thing that you never have when you make a TV show or whatever anything on the screen is time yeah. like you never have time to investigate the, the, work, yeah. the words that you're saying and you you're know, lucky often, these days to even get rehearsals. Damn so, straight, right? Yeah. And you're lucky if someone doesn't just put new pages in front of your yeah. face when you're... Or just yell, say that, say that, look that way, look that way, you know? Um, and we had done this this play so many times that the characters... We'd done like we'd sort of shone a light into every emotional and storytelling corner, not just us, the director as well. Mm. And so when we came to do it on screen, we're all fairly savvy actors. So, you know, we, no one was declaiming loudly. And yeah. the language is very heightened because it's all in this kind of like Shakespearean verse. But it was actually amazing because we, we spent, because we, we knew our characters, we knew the journeys, we knew our relationships. And we just spent the time like really like, it was like fireworks. It was the most wonderful experience. Really? Yeah, it was amazing because, you know, we didn't even look at the scripts. We had to be just like, oh, stand there, you're going to do that. We cut that bit. So just go straight in and we, we blocked it out in these beautiful palaces all around England. And on stage you do it, you know, we've got like this little brick wall and a couple of candles as a set. And it's like, hey, imagine, yeah. imagine something regal, everybody. But here we're doing it in like the most beautiful country houses. And we're, I'm having this big showdown with the amazing Tim Piggott-Smith who plays Charles. And when I look around, I'm not seeing the wings and people giggling and like lights in my face. What I'm seeing is like oak panelled libraries yeah. and massive it's inlaid finally, desks everything that was in your head is actually there it's, it's really there and, and actually it was like totally immersive it's, it was like the most extraordinary so what you're actually saying experience. is every TV show should do the episode 400 times before they record it I reckon that is what should happen <laughs> yeah, yeah I reckon so like you know something like The Wire for example they should do the episode yeah I reckon The Chase <laughs> at the theatre at the, the Chase Pointless yeah. they should do Pointless yeah. 400 times they probably times. do <laughs> they probably do 
400 episodes in a day uh, the so then after you do that play do you anytime you see William on the news or something do you have this sort of thing no actually like, I don't, I, don't now you? it's gone and it's done you just kind of kick it you know it just kind of you just kick it away it just sort of disappears but what it does what it does do and a bit like now with this thing I'm doing at the moment which is about Karl Marx um, and I'm playing Frederick Engels in it um, is that you get the opportunity to really find out about shit that you never knew anything about yeah. and so I never really thought much about the royal family beyond the fact that everyone said I look like Prince William but I over that process I got to really I love that your only thing about <laughs> the know, royal right? family is you listen I grew up during <laughs> it's a royal knockout so that's <laughs> yeah. like that was my introduction to the royal family yeah wow. but um good good cool but I figure like you get the opportunity to really clarify your thoughts about the subject and the people and the issues surrounding them and I definitely although I sort of left all that like left any sense of ownership or mm-hmm. whatever or connection behind which is only ever a one way thing anyway do you know what I mean like um, but I do. I definitely feel like I've come away like uh, wiser and more considered, and I know I know how I feel about the royals. So did you know? So you're doing this play, Young Marks, at the Bridge Theatre. There's a little plug. Thank you. Um, which one is the Bridge Theatre? It's a brand new 925 seater theatre wow. on the South Bank next to Tower Bridge. Nick Heitner, who ran the National Theatre yeah. for ages, this is his first sort of did venture. He, he didn't direct. He directed One Man Two Governors. Yeah, right. Um, this Young Marx is written by this, written and made by the same team as One Man Two uh, Governors. Okay, right. So it's written by Richard Bean with the help of Clive Coleman. But not a comedy. It is a comedy. Is it? Amazing. Yeah, it's a comedy. Karl Marx was a nutcase. And this is him as presumably a young man before. Yeah, it is he... between the writing the Communist Manifesto yeah. and when he, then he moved to London and he wrote Das Kapital. And this is the kind of build up to vomiting up Das Kapital. Which took him about Which eight I don't years. know an awful lot about Das Kapital. It's basically his treatise on capitalism, and it right. sets out his view for his kind of communist ethic of how, how the Communist Manifesto relates to yeah. the current sort of system of, well, the then current system of capitalism. But how do you it's, apply it in the world? Well, it, it doesn't really have, like, it sort of does have an application, but they were, they were short on detail and yeah. big on philosophy and big on analysis. And the, the Das Kapital is like, it's not a, a particularly funny read. There's not a lot of yucks in it, right? But, um, <laughs> I don't know. But the, <laughs> I mean, let me yeah, tell you about the yeah. means of production. I mean, it opens with a great um, gag. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about surplus value. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, it, but Marx at that time and Engels too were like boozers. They were just like dueling, fighting mm-hmm. boozers running around the streets of Soho. Marx impregnating his maid. You know, like properly just going crazy and tearing up, tearing up the streets of London whilst on the run from the kind of Prussian authorities, and they were having a whale of a time. I mean, Marx made most of his points by by trash talking other philosophers yeah. and getting pissed and getting into fights, and that's the section that this is like a forty eight hour yeah, yeah. section of that part of his life. Right. Um, um, and when's this start? It started uh, about six weeks ago, and we finish on New Year's Eve. Ah, but this, this new theatre is incredible. They, it's like the first um, commercial theatre to be built in London for 80 years. What? Yeah, right? No. It's, yeah. Faux show, old fruit. Wow, and they're confident, that's right? That's going to be my catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. Faux show, old fruit. <laughs> in my biplane, yeah. goggles on. <laughs> Off to town. Who are you? <laughs> uh, here's an interesting thing someone told me about your, you, your part in... Um, Two governors, one uh, man, two governors. Okay. I don't know if this is true, but I, I always found it a bit fascinating and 
thought how would that have been for you which was that your part was like you, it was one of the it got big laughs in the show yeah, right it was the whole time you're at the national the west end proper like i know what you're gonna say and this i can't remember who it was they said when it went to broadway it was me in the groucho club was <laughs> crying it you that told me this? My, no i, know, I, no I don't think it don't was know. you telling me this but I was told that suddenly the part didn't land the same way because Americans don't get the class system in this. Is that true? Did it's that, 100% true. Is it? Yeah, and it was really, really upsetting. That must have been because you must have w- walked out on stage going, here I am, ready for the laughs that you'd got so used to. And then suddenly like, oh, like obviously they weren't laughing at all. They were just laughing in different places yeah. or like different levels and stuff. Yeah. Did that that must did that throw you for a, for a bit? I was really I found it really upsetting. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I was really I was really thrown and upset by it. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I look. You know, it sense, like you know. I think actors are sensitive souls, and everyone likes to be yeah, cool no, about I, it. But I, no, I was I really upset. My honesty about it. That. It really did happen, and I think, and it wasn't like a disaster. I'd say the like, I think one man, two governors was certainly one of the crowning achievements of my career yeah. to date and at that point particularly it was so exciting I got an awful lot of recognition for it but actually it was just the doing of it was so joyous to feel like in this subjective industry that you sort of know what you're trying to do yeah. and it's clearly working and it's working yeah. and that doesn't happen a lot yeah to, and to walk out into a situation feeling like you totally know what you're doing yeah, yeah. and then it was a sort of a gradual realisation in America that, that the laughs I guess were I, I used to sort of when I was talking about it back then I would say like there were laughs were about about 30% down which right. is a significant amount in a, hyster- in a hysterical show but weirdly the American audience seemed to find everything else just as funny and other things more so yeah. and, I, and I did go to America I had this sort of big American agent and it was a big triumphant arrival and, and it just sort of fizzled like a damp squib and, and they were on a number of levels like you know I think every, my, all of my team had geared up for things to start happening and not only did things not happen, but quite the opposite happened. I sort of disappeared into the background. And for me, it was actually really difficult to do the show because I realised that not only was I living with a... that my expectation had been not yeah. only let down, but almost sort of negatively kicked yeah, yeah. back, but that I was going to do another 225 of these shows and it didn't matter what I did, not one of them was going to be as enjoyable as the 200 and whatever I'd done in London beforehand. Yeah. And that was it was really super difficult. But, you know, at I mean, what point did you or what was it that made you go? Because at some point you must have gone, well, look, this is this is the situation. You must have also been at least encouraged knowing that it's a cultural thing. Not you. It's not like your performance suddenly was I, like, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, even to this day, I wonder if I didn't really? do it the same. Yeah, I wonder if I was less innocent. Nah. Or, yeah, I mean, I really I really worked. Jet, you had jet lag for six months. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I did. I worked. I worked the part. No, I, I, it's got to be that, you know. Like I it's think so, so easy. I even this morning I had something where I completely doubted almost everything I've ever done in my career. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, like everyone. Why am I doing? Why am I doing this? Almost like I wanted to say I'm ashamed of everything I've ever done. Yeah, like, like, I was just yeah. having some weird, really insecure moment, but. I think that's the thing is it's it's so it's so hypercritical what, what we do. Yeah, I think so you because know. it's the same thing we we're talking about earlier on, you know, you're you are your product. You are yeah. what you do, you know. It's, it's not like it's not like I even like I even write a poem or I even write a story and I give it to you, you know, like it is me physically standing in front of yeah. you and if and if it doesn't work out then that 
um, failure is mine. I own it, and I have to deal with it somehow. Yeah. And but, you, you can say it's it was this, it was that, but doesn't really change but it's also, it's a, the it's, feeling of it. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. no. But it's also it's a chemical thing. Like it's yeah. you know uh, putting on a play, particularly, but even making a TV show in a different way. It's a chemistry thing, and it's how that magic is created, you know, the rhythms that are created. So you're, you're only ever a small cog in a much bigger machine. But if you feel like you're letting everyone down and yourself down and you don't know why, um, and then there's the day-to-day reality of doing it, it mm. it's, it's, like, hard. And, you know, that's when you go, I'm a professional and I'm being paid and I'm going to go out there and, and even though this is not the same experience for me or I'm not getting the appreciation that makes I'm just sort of flicking my imaginary hair back <laughs> but um, like uh, uh, even though I'm not getting the appreciation that would make this like a joyous experience yeah. I'm going to get on with this and do this to the best of my ability and you just knuckle down and I think I, the reason it. I hope you don't mind me bringing it up and I really admire your just no, I frankness love, I love talking about my failures Dan <laughs> but it's not a failure it's no, just no, it was a, a huge success yeah. it was a huge but, success um, but I mean like as someone that has uh, you know made a living from making people laugh I think I really felt the pain of that like I'm thinking how different because in a, if it was a dramatic piece you wouldn't have known from because you, you mm. have to hear people laughing throughout the show yeah. you hear a reaction in drama it's just an applause yeah. at the end it's the fact that you you're so aware of the difference and yeah. I just I just felt when I, I was like I a, I didn't know whether that was tr- how true yeah, or exaggerated that was, but also just how far that would have been. It's definitely true, but also, like, uh, you know, I want to put it in perspective. Like, it wasn't like the American audience all looked at me com- no, like, no. Like, like there was a bad smell on stage. I mean, it was literally just like, it was just... It, was it just, went I think, from rapturous we laughter from to... Adoration in London yeah. to kind of like, oh, fine. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, why not? You know, and that's and that's that's cool, but as, a, as an ambitious... Which, by the way, you would have taken that response at the beginning of the London oh, run. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> but the, but, then, but you, know, you got used to the, yeah, uh, the absolute... Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, and also, you know, just to... That we were talking earlier on, you know, the repetition, you know, the audience energy really helps you get through yeah. that stuff. So. Especially with a show like that. Yeah, um, So you did end up coming back to tv comedy you yeah. did uh, blue bluestone 42 yeah totally joyous uh how many seasons seasons that's so Seas- american isn't I know, it? where's the way it's going you yeah. can't fight it yeah how many series how many six episode uh series uh, actually we did se- we did eight we did the first series was eight then we did seven and then we did six okay bbc more for slowly less. <laughs> slowly losing confidence in you yeah. guys well i did i did the first two and a half the last so. season was half an episode <laughs> Yeah, and each episode was only four minutes long. Um, yeah, well, I did. I did the the first two and a half, so that I left halfway through the third series. Well, you just had enough. I'm off, guys. <laughs> See ya. Um, yeah, I hate South Africa. Um, Is that where you shot it? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, the whole thing was brilliant. Like it was just so much fun. Actually, I thought that the that show was really amazing, and I, I think that it's got a really loyal following, and the yeah. people in the in the, uh, in the armed forces really love it. And we did super well. So this is the show for people that hadn't seen it is uh, about the armed forces in Afghanistan. Is yeah, that right? but about can... specifically about eleven EOD, the bomb disposal okay. unit, actually right. their ordnance sort of uh, disposal, which. Unit. 
you think is ripe for comedy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. No, but I like, I, I think what a great, you know, obviously MASH is, you probably got yeah. uh, comparisons to yeah, that. Yeah, lots like, of that stuff. That, um, did you know much about the uh, about the army? And no, nothing, nothing, but I do now. Because you sound like you could have been in the army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I, Terry Thomas. Uh, <laughs> I know. You know. I'm the biggest you coward. Been, I'd be like the first person. I would, If like there was another world war, I'd either yeah. be the first person killed or I'd be the last person killed. And I'd get killed by being shot because I was like picking my nose or doing up my shoe. It would be the, the most inglorious way. Well, it would just be like some ridiculous, one of those ridiculous. It would be like guns. the war's over, but there was one bullet still flying. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, you get exactly. Killed. Like Debbie yeah, McGee's yeah, twin yeah. sister. <laughs> <laughs> the war was over when he died. Oh, that would be so sad. And yet so wonderful. Um, did, did you do any sort of training for that? Yeah, we did like boot camp. Did we had you? Like proper boot camp. I could, I mean, I, I asked that as a joke. No, I could literally, I could probably diffuse an IED. I mean, I would not recommend no, anyone to no. turn to me for it. But like, yeah, I know about, uh, actually, it was a while ago now, but what is there's like a, a collapsing loop system and all that stuff. I think that's right, but I could have that slightly wrong. But there's, I learned a lot. We, we, were, we had a lot of military advisors. Um, and what was it, it like an actual, you went to a, a base and did... No, we, we had a guy who we did a week's sort of in the park boot camp kind yeah. of training with. And then he would take us off and show us how these, I, these things worked. We did go to EOD regiment. And they've got a firing range. They have a firing range like under Baker Street. What? Yeah. They no. have a gun range. It's not Baker Street, but it's one of those West London, central yeah. West London things. There's like their, their headquarters there. And we had uh, their regiment headquarters there. Are you allowed to say that, by the way? I don't know. I mean, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, it was a few years ago. Um, they've probably moved. Yeah. yeah. But there's a proper firing range it's under It's Road now. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, did you find that it actually helped in any way? Yeah, it did. We yeah. learned, when we went out, we went out a week early to South Africa and we had a whole like boot training. And you actually training. You went to war. <laughs> we went to war, yeah, against us. Yeah, it's a little known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it kind of went we under the radar. restaged the Boer War. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we went to, uh, we, we, they set up like a whole range. They set up like a, like a dirt road for us with loads of, insert, like loads of kind of fake insurgents. And the, there's a guy who was from 11 EOD, and he took us through our paces, both like marching, but then also how uh, an EOD unit would then go and render safe uh, an IED and how you would look for it and stuff. And it was super exciting. Yeah. You know, we all had our like fake SA-80s and it felt it, you know in that in, in that moment it feels like awesome oh. it was really I, I, cool I, I, it was yeah. cool stuff I can imagine so uh, look it's been so much fun chatting to you uh, we're going to have to wrap it up before we do though do. let's talk about your guilty pleasure okay which um, we get everyone that comes on to just, I think it's just a fun thing for can I just to, say like yeah. I do not feel guilty about this pleasure Okay. Like, I, I so, mean, it is my it is my hugest, like, pleasure in the world. And, and I, I, I think it would class as a guilty pleasure, but I'm just going to wear it. Like, no, well, I'm with you on this. I'm with you on this. Uh, why don't you announce to the public what your pleasure is? <laughs> well done. It's first date. I'm so with you on this. I adore this show. I adore first dates I'm yeah. with you in fact I sort of seeing your reaction to yeah. that yeah. I sort of want to watch it with you I would quite happily oh, sit and share Come a Toblerone with you yeah. and we could yeah. just like talk about <laughs> it to- eating each end until we meet in the middle <laughs> well, like lady in the yeah. tram some weird oh. lady in the tram with triangular Cutting chocolate like you know each, each date that goes well we eat another <laughs> triangle I like it uh, what, what, what do you love do about you, are it are you a so Toblerone much? fan by the way um, I'm uh, I know this is a weird thing because I imagine Toblerone's like Marmite, but I'm a bit on the fence. It's like, yeah, it's all right. Okay. Um, I'm neither. I do 
find it not very consu- uh, like uh, user friendly. You sort of, if you eat too much, you end up sort of tearing the. Well, roof just your mouth like how, yeah, and how you get into it, and Again, but, that's um, part of the fun, Dan. Yeah, but <clears throat> there are other chocolates I would rather go for, which are uh, any kind of like you know, like uh, oh, I tell you what, I really like in the chocolate world yeah. is sea salt, green and blacks. No, why no? Too classy. Oh. <laughs> I just can't okay. see salt. I've you, put, you. <laughs> you really have. You really have. Come on, let's go back to okay, first, yeah, sorry, dates. first dates. Um, yeah, so first dates. I mean, I discovered first dates by accident, and I watched the first episode and sobbed. Yeah, almost all the way through. I My s- girlfriend can't believe what a softy I am. Whenever, it, that, whenever it goes well, especially at the end when they say whether they'll see each other again. Although I'm finding recently that they're starting to cheat us. They're starting to really? like make funny captions rather than actually like, yeah. giving us the juice. Like we want to know what happened. I care about these people. Yeah, like, I care about every, almost every single all one of them, of them apart from the ones them. I hate, of which there are a couple. Even the ones I hate, I sort of, you know, it's. It's just interesting to see how people behave in yeah. these situations. It's a, I think it's a beautiful show. And the reason I think it's so amazing is watching people, watching people kind of unarmor themselves and just allow their vulnerability out in a very like benign and open way mm-hmm. is completely disarming. Because we walk past people on the street and everyone's trying to project something. Yeah. And somehow that show, whether it's because they ply them with booze or just the format works so brilliantly or they pick people so great, so so brilliantly, at, at some point, 98% of the people just sort of de-armor themselves. And you see, like, you're completely drawn to them because you, you see a, a human being. I agree with you 100%. And it always, and the amount of times you judge someone in the first 30 seconds and you're always wrong or whatever. Yeah. But or whether they like each other and you're yeah. wrong. Or Do you think that the, are, when the show becomes more and more popular and famous and long running, that people will start being less genuine? Like what happened with things like, like Big they, Brother or what whatever. Like series t- I mean, Big Brother was always like a zoo experiment, but like this is like uh, we're they're on like season ten, and I sort of haven't I haven't found my my like interest waning. No. Do you know what I mean? It's been going for some time, yeah, yeah. and I and I feel like there's a kind of endless series ten. Really, I think it's like I, think or, I could do a bit of a, maybe I, like, I could go back and uh, binge some. Oh yeah, damn straight. Because I, I only got into it recently. We're gonna get a thing here, which is gonna yeah. say like series six underlined. <laughs> Debbie McGee's not a twin. Definitely get not out of my radio studio. Uh, look, this uh, this has been uh, great. You're right. It isn't a guilty pleasure. Nine it series. is a hundred percent a pleasure. Um, you are going to tell us why you picked this. <laughs> this is great. I'm, I'm surprised in a way we've never had this. Uh, this is your second choice of music from a film. Uh, tell us what it is. So, like I said, when I was choosing these pieces of film music, and a few dollars more has a huge nostalgia value. It reminds me of sitting on my sofa watching spaghetti westerns and mm-hmm. like, when I was a kid and my family were all around. and It was just lovely. And this is another one from my childhood, um, but more contemporary and I was listening to stuff and there are just some things that give me goosebumps and just make me smile and uh, <laughs> this Commandant Lassard is one of those things <laughs> it's not called Commandant Lassard I was addressing I was calling you Commandant oh, Lassard oh were you no I'm not sure I like that <laughs> what I'm him Lassard was amazing excellent excellent <laughs> wonderful have you never like knocked a goldfish out of a window with it because he used to repeat didn't he a lot 
I mean, yeah, this I'm, is now a I'm suddenly wonderful, wonderful. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. X, yeah. Didn't he get like a blowjob under a podium at he one did, point? Which, giving a... When I was a kid, and you so, so we're talking about <laughs> people don't know. We're talking. About, he's picked the theme song from the the the, the the main theme from Police Academy from the Police Academy franchise well, saga. It's, it's definitely this is uh, this is from, saga. for me. I'm just going to go with Police Academy mythology. One. Police, Police Academy one. But when I used to watch that as a kid. And he gets the blowjob in the uh, what do they call them? The lectern. Uh, yeah, they're the like a podium or podium thing. Thing. Um, I thought that what had happened was he had got his because you hear a zip like, zzz, <laughs> and I thought it was that she had deliberately trapped his, his penis into his flies. Oh, Dan, you're so at, or is nice. it fly singular flies? Anyway, um, and, I I, and he'd be because the whole time he's going. We have gotten <laughs> And I'm like, that is the noises you'd make, right? And it wasn't until I was a bit older, and, I, and then I had flashbacks sitting there watching it with my parents and what my parents must be thinking. Their little so, child was, was so like, sort of naughty. So and yet naughty. So Love naughty. Like, lovely. I, I absolutely, that was one of the films that I had on VHS that I would watch oh repeatedly. It's just repeatedly. the most, it's total joy. I mean, I can, I'm sort of scrolling through it now, like, was that guy really making those noises with his mouth? What the uh, you know, Jones game over? Yeah, you know all that yeah. kind of stuff. He like, totally was. He's he does that live as a comedian. What? Yeah, it's like a pre. But now Watts. it doesn't sound very good because there's people that can do it way better than <laughs> he, he could <laughs> yeah. back then. But it's pretty. Remember when so Mahoney parks the car at the very beginning? Yeah, when he parks the car, Steve Gutenberg and turns and it on his side. Wig- Wiggler, <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, I this is it. the piece of music from that classic. 1984 comedy. Joy. Um, Ollie, good luck with the young marks. Well, it's already opening, It's uh, but good luck with the rest of the run. Thank you. Here it is. Do we know who this doesn't? Look, there's a picture. We've now got a picture of <laughs> Debbie McGee and her sister. Maybe it's Debbie McGee playing Maybe the, De- Debbie. Can we find out who did this? It is like it's Robert Fault. Folk. Folk. Robert Folk or Folk? How would you say that? Listen, dude, I'm way out of my way. <laughs> All right. Way anyway, my here it is, um, the amazing Police Academy theme. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.